Welcome, meeting makers. I'm your host, Lauren Green, meeting coach and facilitation trainer, here to help you unsuck your meetings one episode at a time. I've helped hundreds of professionals and organizations through leading inclusive, engaging, and productive meetings. And now I'm offering this podcast to help you do the same. Think of this podcast as an ongoing workshop, where each time you tune in, you'll get a bite-sized nugget of knowledge you can apply right away. If you lead meetings or might someday, you're in the right place. Let's make your meetings work. Heads up, meeting makers. A soapbox is coming. Coaching is a buzzword these days. It seems like everyone and their great aunt Frida is a life coach. And what the heck is a life coach anyway? To make matters worse, you've been told by your supervisor that you need to start coaching your direct reports. But what does that mean? Should you call up Aunt Frida and get some tips? Breathe, meeting makers, and don't call Aunt Frida. We're going to break down coaching in a way that's simple and actionable for the workplace. Let's start with a story. My first career was in professional dance, jazz, modern, music theater, you name it, I probably danced it. I gave up performing when I decided to go to graduate school. And when I finished grad school, I was excited about new career possibilities, but unsure where dance fit into my life. Because dance was so core to who I was and who I am, I felt like I needed some help figuring it out. So I found my first coach, Jess Grippo, that's G-R-I-P-P-O, in a Google search for coaches for dancers. According to her website, Jess's speciality was in helping anyone find their journey in dance and what it looked like uniquely for them, regardless of their dance background. Perfect, I thought. I clicked with Jess instantly, and we started her six-month coaching journey. We set up one-hour sessions every two weeks where we talked about whatever was coming up for me. She would ask me lots of questions, and I always felt like she was really listening to what was going on. But I spent the first several weeks of coaching with her feeling like I was getting nowhere. I finally said, Jess, am I doing this right? I feel like I'm just complaining. Without skipping a beat, Jess said, this is the work. You are verbalizing what is getting in your way so that you can be ready for what's next. And I finally understood what we were doing. I needed to unpack and clear out of my head the thoughts and ideas that were getting in the way of my future. After a few weeks, I started making some new neurological connections and reframing my current environment. My questions about dance started to become clear. Jess didn't make these connections for me. I made them myself, but she helped me through using tactful coaching techniques. Jess Grippo is definitely someone you want to follow and work with, especially if you're in the dance community or you're trying to find your way into dance on your terms. She's also got some hilarious TikToks, and her series on dancing with CVS receipts is honestly my favorite. Now, what Jess did is not necessarily what you meeting makers are going to do as coaches. Jess was a professional coach. She had a coaching program, and like me, she went through professional coaching training to be able to help her clients or her coachees, as I often call them, go deeper and to move forward. Coaching as a leader or coaching as a manager, that's what you're going to be doing, is a little different. 
you're not necessarily going to have the same level of training that Jess and I have gone through. You may only ever listen to this podcast about coaching, and that's really not enough to qualify yourself as a life coach. But at a fundamental level, coaching is a conversation method for helping someone solve challenges themselves. A coach helps their coachee find their way forward. And there are many moments in your role where coaching skills are really going to help you grow and develop your team. To do so, you need to be familiar with the basics that we're about to cover. And if you decide that you love the idea of professional coaching, I highly encourage you to visit the ICF, International Coach Federation, for resources on how to be a certified coach. It's a long process, but it's so important for ethical coaching practices, and I don't recommend engaging with a professional coach if they aren't certified. So let's say that one of your direct reports, Tia, comes to you and starts venting about a coworker, Steve, who never responds to their emails. Aha, you think. This is a moment for coaching. So you jump right in and you interrupt Tia and you tell her that she should just go talk to Steve in person. You say, you know Steve well, and he's sure to understand better if you just talk to him directly. Tia thanks you and heads to go talk to Steve. Great, you think. That was some quality coaching on my part. But the next day, Tia is back. And now it's Dottie that's the problem. Dottie is taking over Tia's project and Tia doesn't know what to do about it. Your palms are sweating because you don't know Dottie and you don't know what to tell Tia. You start rambling off some suggestions like emailing Dottie to set up time to chat. But no matter what you suggest, Tia has a reason why it won't work. Tia finally leaves with a disappointed look on her face and you feel terrible. What you just heard was not coaching meeting makers. It was telling. Now, Pause whatever you're multitasking with and listen up, because this is something that even the most experienced coaches, myself included, struggle with. As a coach, you do not have the answers. I'll say it again. You do not have the answers. You want to because you learned in grade school that if you have the answers, you get an A, but in coaching, if you have the answers, you get an F. As the coach, you are the dumb one in the situation. The coachee has the answers that they need. Drill this into you because if you don't fundamentally believe this to your core, you will slip into other techniques that are not coaching. This is so hard to do because we are wired to have the answers. Michael Stanier in his book called The Coaching Habit talks about the advice monster. The advice monster lives inside your head and just wants to give advice to everybody because it has all the answers and it knows better and it has all of the worldly experience that it needs. And like I said, the advice monster is something that we're programmed to do because we are wired to want to have the answers. We want to get an A on our quiz. And that's what society tells us is what we're supposed to do. But that advice monster and coaching gets in the way. Now, Some situations do not need coaching, and we'll get to that. But in a situation like Tia's, if you start by having the answers, if you let your advice monster rule you, Tia will become dependent on you and never figure things out for herself. This is the quickest way to the all-too-common burned-out manager syndrome, 
constantly solving everyone's problem and never having time to get your own work done. An overdependent team is disempowering to the employees and frustrating for managers. On the flip side, when coaching is applied ethically and correctly, it can help empower employees to solve their own challenges and take work off your plate that you didn't want anyway. Over the last few years, the makeup of many organizations has changed, and so have models for leadership. Top-down, command-and-control direction works well in military and factory-style settings, but not in organizations that remain flexible to new market trends and customer expectations. When only a few individuals are relied on to make all of the decisions, organizations suffer the consequences of stovepipes and bottlenecks that slow down productivity and delay results. Imagine an organization that encourages employees to make decisions based on the knowledge and insights gathered from their peers. Many leaders fear this because they don't know what role to play in an organization that works like this. But not you, meeting makers, because you're ready to grow your coaching skills so that you can be more effective in your role and help your team members do the same. Let's go back to that TIA scenario. That wasn't really coaching. It was mentoring and consulting. In a mentoring or in a consulting relationship, it's okay to have the answers because that's the expectation of that role. If you're hired as a consultant, you should have the answers. The big difference is that when you're mentoring and consulting, you are telling. And coaching, you are asking. It's also important to note that coaching is not therapy which tends to deep dive into the past and pull in painful topics to get to the root cause. That is also not what coaching is for, and you never dive into a pool you're not qualified to be swimming in, so don't do it. Coaching is forward-focused, goal-centered, which is why many organizations are now training their managers to coach, because that's what managers are there to do. They help people move forward and help teams work towards their goals. And you can use coaching to help someone design performance goals and work towards them. Confidence comes with experience. A meeting coach will help you grow that confidence. We'll work with you to find and grow your facilitator superpower while giving you just-in-time tools that align to your unique meeting needs. We offer three and six month customized meeting coach programs, as well as one-off coaching sessions when you need them. In each session, we'll discuss your agenda, walk through new modalities, and give you time to practice teeing up activities. Our coaches have said that working with us helped them feel more confident to lead meetings that meet goals. If you love this podcast and want a one-on-one customized coach approach, visit makemeetings.work forward slash contact to partner with us and make your meetings work. So now that you've listened to me blather on about what is and is not coaching, let's dive into the skills involved. If you've listened to season one, some of these skills are going to sound familiar because a lot of key coaching skills are the same as good facilitation skills. You need to listen actively, ask powerful questions, and paraphrase back what you hear. There are two big differences between coaching and facilitation. First, group size. Facilitation is group-oriented, whereas coaching is typically one-on-one, but not exclusively. 
Also, in facilitation, you, the facilitator, have a process or framework that you're following. It's process-oriented, and you have the agenda. Coaching, on the other hand, usually doesn't have a step-by-step process. As the coach, you follow the coachee on whatever conversation or thought process feels organic to them. So the coachee or the client or your direct report, whoever it is that you're coaching, they have the agenda. It's their agenda. But despite these differences, the core skills are the same. Let's take active listening, tuning into what's being said rather than thinking about what you're going to say. In other words, if you're thinking about what you want to respond with, you're not active listening. So this means putting down your cell phone, turning on your web camera if you're online, and removing other distractions. Show that you're listening by leaning in and using an open body posture. Make eye contact when possible, but not in a creepy way. If you need feedback on that, ask a friend. Another skill is powerful questions. Powerful questions are simple and open-ended, meaning they cannot be answered yes-no or either-or, and they do not include a disguised solution. For example, if you said, well, what if you tried? That's not a powerful question because you're about to give the answer. You're about to give advice. So if you're someone who likes to rescue by swooping in and fixing the problem, watch out. Rescuing makes us feel helpful, but it creates dependencies like the Tia situation, and it prevents the other person from getting valuable learning from finding their own way. Powerful questions also start with what and how, as opposed to why. I learned this on day one of grad school, and it was so impactful. Why would I ask a what question? I'm getting defensive just thinking about it. Why questions tend to evoke defensiveness which stops the conversation short. A simple change from why did you do that to what caused you to take that step is more curious in nature, and it's less likely to provoke defensiveness. In other words, a what question provokes thought, insight, and discovery. So here's your challenge. Practice changing a why question to a what question five times this week and observe what happens. Nobody can read minds or know what someone is feeling. So bias as a coach is natural. And to make sure that we paint a clear picture, we have to make sure that we know what is intended by the person who is speaking, not by the voice in our heads. We do this by paraphrasing what we hear. Paraphrasing enables us to learn through repeating back the comment. Then it enables the other person to understand how well they communicated and have an opportunity to clarify before both parties walk away with different meetings. And if something happens where you paraphrase and they say, no, that's not what I said, good. Then that was an opportunity to get clearer and communicate. So don't worry if you don't get it right. There are several key phrases that you can use when paraphrasing someone's comments. These simple words make it clear that you own your perceptions and you are not putting words in their mouth. It's really important to always frame things as a perception. If you're someone that says, you look angry today. No, I perceive that you are angry today. Now it's a perception. So paraphrasing is all about owning this is your perception and may not be that person's reality. So here's some of the phrases. I heard you say, 
and then repeat back what they say. It sounds like I noticed that. I perceive that. I heard you say, it sounds like you might be a little frustrated. I heard you say that Steve is bothering you when he's not responding to your emails. What would you like Steve to do? I paraphrase and I followed it with an open-ended question back. This is really hard to do. You have to practice it. You have to practice it. And if you're nervous, let the person know that you are trying this out and that it might take you a few seconds to form the question in a way that's cohesive. And that's okay. It's okay to let someone know that you're practicing. But you've just learned three core skills, active listening, asking powerful questions, and paraphrasing. There are so many other coaching skills. It took me years to learn how to coach, and I'm still learning every day. But active listening, questions, and paraphrasing are three biggies to start with. And I bet they didn't teach you that in your two-hour manager lunch and learn. Okay, if you're like most newbie coaches, you feel like a fish out of water right now. And you might be thinking, why should I learn how to coach? I'm not being paid to coach. I'm being paid to manage. But hear me out. If you find yourself constantly putting out fires or doing rework, you need coaching skills. Coaching and developing others is one of the ways to get work off your plate and help your team work more effectively. Can you think of a peer who everyone says is a great manager? What is it that gives Jimmy that secret manager superpower? It's no secret, meeting makers. They are probably just naturally great at listening and asking questions, which makes them a likable and empowering person to work for. And you can be like Jimmy, too. The Coaching Habit, that's the book I mentioned earlier, by Michael Stanier, is a primer on coaching, breaking the process into seven essential questions that, if followed, enable any leader or individual to become a better coach. You can think of this as a cheat sheet for coaching. And speaking of cheat sheets, don't forget to download the free visual summary notes for this episode linked in the description. So here they are. First, what's on your mind? That's the kickstart question. It's such an opener that even Facebook uses it. Then the awe question, A-W-E, and what else? You ask that, you ask it again, and you ask it again, and you ask it again, and what else? And you ask it until there's nothing else. And they'll tell you, nothing else. You just keep asking it. Third, what's the real challenge here for you? If you're remembering from our facilitation training, we talk about open refine, and close. You just did a whole bunch of open. What's the real challenge here for you? That's a refining process. You're asking the person to say, what's really important here? And you need that because if you don't have that, you don't actually know how to help them. We talked a little bit about this in the previous episode when we talk about contracting, especially in ad hoc meetings. This is part of that contract. What's the real challenge here for you? Next, The foundation question. I love this. What do you want? Or what's important to you? So now you've got the challenge and what do they want? Then you ask the lazy question. How can I help? Instead of giving a suggestion, you ask them, how can I help? How can I be supportive? What is it that you need? Next, the strategic question. If you are saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? This is basically saying what needs to give in order for you to move forward with this plan. And there may be some other things that you, as the manager, can do 
that result from that strategic question. And they would be things like enabling resources or making connections, things that a manager is supposed to do, but you're not solving the problem for them. They already know what they need. Now they're just telling it to you. And lastly, the learning question. And this is where you take a step back and you say, what was most useful for you? You could also say, what was helpful for you? How did this go? You're just taking a step back and reflecting on the conversation that you just had. So what's on your mind and what else? What's the real challenge here for you? What do you want? How can I help? If you are saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? And what was most useful for you? So the idea with these seven questions is that you can coach anyone through anything. This isn't a hard and fast truth, but these questions do follow a basic conversation arc that you already know. Open, refine, and close. It's all there. So if you get stuck, just ask questions as if you were having an ad hoc meeting where you need to set an outcome, use open-ended questions to gather ideas, explore the possibilities, and land on a final decision. Now, I should clarify that in many coaching situations, a solution is not always possible. Let that be okay. Remember my story about Jess where I was wondering, am I doing this right? I was just kind of unpacking and venting for a few sessions. That might happen. You might have a lot of coaching sessions where the conversation just seems to be random and not helping. And actually, that's okay. That's really okay. You don't have to solve it. You don't have to fix it in one session. But just giving the person a chance to unpack and clear out some of what's bothering them, it may enable an opportunity to at least understand where they could be missing some information. So when I don't know how to wrap up a coaching session or tie it with a bow because it just went everywhere, I just ask, what are you going to do next? Or what's the next step? Or what information do you need? It's just getting them to the next place, not the final place, but just the next place. You might be wondering, what does coaching actually look like and sound like? And if that question is on your mind, we have actually recorded a special bonus episode where I do a live coaching demonstration with a colleague of mine. Her name is Vicki, and she bravely volunteered to go on air for an actual coaching session. So we did not script it. It's an actual coaching session. And you can access that as a bonus episode wherever you get your podcasts or linked in the description. This was a big episode, Meeting Makers. But before I leave you to go get out there and practice coaching, let's review a few do's and don'ts. Do ask for permission. If you start to use coaching techniques and your direct reports or whoever it is that you're coaching doesn't expect that from you, it's just going to create problems. So you need to ask them, hey, is it okay if I practice some coaching techniques? Hey, is it okay if I put on a coaching hat rather than a manager hat? And they might ask you, well, what does that mean? And you say, well, it means that you have the answers and that I'm just enabling you to find those answers. Would that be okay? Can we try that out? Ask for permission. So important. The worst thing is you're trying something new and that person doesn't respond because they're not used to hearing it from you. You have to give them a warning. Hey, this is coming so that they don't reject it completely. Ask simple questions. When you start out, you're going to ask a question and ask it again and ask it again and ask it again because you can't get it right. 
Just ask the first question. They'll tell you if they don't understand. Just ask a simple question and just ask one question. A simple question is, what's on your mind? A simple question is, tell me more. A simple question is, what did you mean by that? So if your question is becoming more than 10 words, it's probably not simple. Keep it confidential. So important. You're not going to develop a trusting relationship if you go and blab to your coworker about what was said in a coaching session. And let them know, let the person know that you're going to hold what they said in confidence. And ICF ethics will really enforce this. ICF coaches, if they break confidentiality, they lose their credential. They take it very, very seriously. Maybe your supervisor wants to know what you coached Tia on this week. No, you cannot tell them. It is not ethical to do so. If Tia wants to go tell them, Tia can go tell them, but you can't. You keep it confidential. Here's some don'ts. Don't coach someone who really needs clear guidance. And if you're not sure, it goes back to the ask for permission thing. So if somebody's coming to you and it's an urgent situation and they just need an answer, they just need clarification, it might not be the time to pull out your coaching techniques because it's going to take too long and they're just going to get frustrated. So when it's urgent, when they need clear guidance, that is the time to just tell them what to do. Don't coach someone if they don't want coaching. If they reject it, stop. Don't force someone into it. And don't talk when someone is thinking. If you get a long silence, that's amazing. And they love it. And how often do we get silence in our workplace? So if you ask a question and they pause and they're thinking and they go, I don't know, celebrate. Because you just hit on a new neurological pathway that hasn't been formed yet. I had a coach that told me that, Laura Dowling. She's my mentor coach. And she told me, if someone says, I don't know, that's a good thing because it means there's a connection there that they can form that they haven't made yet. Bask in the silence. Don't talk when someone's thinking. And lastly, and you know this one, don't give advice because you are not as smart as you think you are at least when it comes to that person's life and what they're going through. Here's your challenge, meeting makers. Start small. Ask a friend, a colleague, a family member that you trust if they have a work challenge that you can practice coaching them on. Focus on one coaching skill. Maybe just focus on paraphrasing or just focus on questions or just focus on listening. Some of the best coaching sessions are the ones where I didn't say very much. And I get huge accolades from sessions like that. It was just so nice to unpack. It was just so nice to listen. But you know, at some point, practice asking a question. It'll be even better. Trust me. Afterwards, reflect on what went well and what felt awkward. Make some notes on things to work on as a next step. So that's your homework. Practice, practice. Find someone you trust. Try it. Focus on one skill at a time. And remember, if you want a meeting coach, Head to makemeetings.work forward slash contact to get in touch. I'd be happy to chat. Next episode, the coaching skills we talked about today will come in handy. We will hear from certified mediator Gina Weatherup and one of my really good friends on top tips on dealing with conflict. Until next time, let's make your meetings work. This podcast was written by Lauren Green and produced by Caitlin Murray. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to rate and review so future meeting makers can find our community. Download a visual summary of this episode in the description and be sure to join the conversation in our Meeting Makers Facebook group. 
Want help with your next meeting? Reach out at makemeetings.work forward slash contact and we'll set up time to chat.